0: Been the executive director there a little over a year, I believe. And uh, prior to this, he has served as a pastor. Uh, he has served as a, a church planter and a church revitalizer in uh, Colorado and Oklahoma. And um, we are very thankful that he's able to come um, this morning to share the the Lord's word, uh, the word of the Lord, with us. So please help me to welcome Alan. Well, let me ask you a question today. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing in life? I love what Mario Andretti said. If you ever want to get to the skinny of it, ask a a racer, right? He said this, I always said, I don't have a plan B. I was in pursuit of my dream from the very beginning. It's all about desire and passion at all costs. You know, Mario Andretti was was a great driver, won won many races in the course of his career. And people who watched racing in those days can remember he was certainly passionate about what he did. I am privileged that I get to do something I'm passionate about. 20, some 30 years ago, I felt that God was kind of leading me into a role to work with churches. And yet, God did not open those doors... For 30 years, I was, I was swimming along as a revitalizer, as a church planter, as a pastor, all those things that we talked about. I was in Colorado for almost 20 years doing some very hard ministry in Colorado when God woke me up one morning and said, I got something in store for you and that's going to be working with associations. And I thought, Lord, where'd that come from? And yet, God knew what He was doing, and He put me here. And over the last year, I've been so honored and blessed um, to be a part of the Dogwood Trails Baptist Association. I like to tell every church when I come, you are the association. I just get privileged to, to be the face of it. But you are the association. You know, many years ago, Baptist churches got together and said, we think we can do more if we believe in togetherness More than a partness. And they got together and said, we can do more if we pool our resources and put our resources together. And that's what we do. If you're curious, what is a Dogwood Trails Baptist Association and what does it do? We've been in a process of redefining who we are and, and what we do. And really, if you could boil it down into three words, one word is Develop. What we want to do is develop leaders and help churches develop leaders. We are in a crisis today of finding ministry leaders. In Mississippi, I don't know if you heard, but one out of every four Southern Baptist churches in Mississippi, where Southern Baptists rule the state, so to speak, one out of every four churches is pastorless right now. There is a shortage of people who who believe that God has called them, to do his work. And we believe the association can come alongside churches and help develop leaders. We also believe in something that's been a lifelong tradition in, in our circles. And that is that we can do missions together. We serve together. That we can accomplish great things together. I left Colorado after 19 years. I would pastored my last church for for 14 years. And had a wonderful ministry there. And God did some great things in my church. And yet... In coming here, I received a phone call one day from Colorado Baptist and said, Would you consider a partnership, your association with Colorado Baptist? Our church planters need help. And so we have now partnered into five ministries in Colorado where we are partnering with them as an association. And we are putting churches together who are working together to help church plants. And I'm having more influence in Colorado from Texas than I ever had in Colorado. Isn't that how God works? So we serve together. And then to the idea of strengthening churches. You know, sometimes churches come into a time where they just need help or they feel lost or confused. They've been through a hard time or they need some outside eyes. And those are the things where, where an association can come alongside those things that we do that maybe might not be glitzy but are important. And those are the things that our association does. Really, my job is to facilitate opportunities for the church to be the church and for the church to shine. I like to think of it as I get to put a little bit of polish on the lens that shines a light. And that's what we do. You know, I tend to be a, a storyteller. I was talking with a pastor one day. He goes, you really like preaching through the stories, don't you? I said yeah, I love I love preaching through a good story. He goes, "I hate preaching the stories. I give me the epistles. Give me give me the letters all day long." I said, "Well, I just like a story because I like to tell the stories. And I'm a storyteller." And sometimes when you tell a story, have you ever noticed that a story sometimes can go the wrong direction? I've had a story go the wrong direction before. Several years ago, I was preaching in a church and I had titled a message, The Shopping Cart Syndrome. It's a good title, isn't it? Because, I don't know about you, do you ever get frustrated when you go to pull into a parking spot and there's a shopping cart in that spot where it ought not be? And I, th- I was thinking about how spiritually lazy we could be. And uh, the text just fit perfectly. And to talk about... The life of our ministry. And so I preached and I used as my opening story the frustration about shopping carts being where they're not supposed to be and how so many people are too lazy to put their shopping cart up and paralleled that in to talking about how we can so easily become spiritually lazy and not do the things that we're supposed to do. And I thought that it was a wonderful message. I thought that it drove home the message. And I thought that the story made sense. A couple years later, I bumped into someone who was in that service. And they came up to me and said, I remember you from my church. You preached that sermon and you talked about shopping carts. And they said, Pastor, I just want you to know that ever since that day, I have put my shopping cart up when I go to Walmart." And I just wanted to say, well, praise the Lord. We missed the point. We missed the point. You know, sometimes, even the simplest things, we miss the point. Today, we're in Luke chapter 12. Um, your pastor is gracious enough to allow me to, to continue on in this series in Luke. So, we're in Luke chapter 12. And I love the parables. I think talking about the parables that Jesus taught... ...are so important. Because most of them... ...when you think about it... ...let me give you two thoughts on parables... ...most parables have a very simple meaning... ...and are easily understood. And that's just really true. Most parables are not complicated. They're really simple. That's one of the reasons that Jesus used them... ...to teach because they teach... ...very simple truths... ...in very memorable ways. But there's a second part of that... ...and that's most parables are more challenging to apply than we expect. I mean, take a take a parable, take any any famous parable, take the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's easy to understand that the Bible says we should be a good neighbor. It's not always easy to be a good neighbor, though, is it? There are times where it's hard to apply that in our lives. And so parables kind of have this funny... Funny difference in them that they are very simple and yet at the very time very challenging. Yet we come today to a parable where I think on the surface, if we do not pay attention to it, we can easily go the wrong direction with it. We could say, well, this, this is a parable about money or this is a parable about something else and we can miss the point. But I want us to be very clear that there is a point, And the point is, what are you pursuing in your life? What are you pursuing in your life? Let's look at it and see how it comes to that. In, we begin in Luke 12, verse 13. It says, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to them, Who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said, said to them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. So he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself himself. And is not rich toward God. So you can see how, how easily, if you just look at it at the surface level, it seems like he's talking about just greed and just about money. But it goes so far beyond that because this really is a question of what are you pursuing in life. And it just so happens in this case that this young man was pursuing wealth. But let's look at the context a little bit. You've been been in Luke 12 already. We've seen things with hypocrisy and Pharisees. Um, You just recently looked at the personal value to God, how we're more valuable than even the the sparrows. There's the question of eternal confidence and not rejecting the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, what he's been doing is dealing with the inner working of people's lives. What's going on on the inside? What is the real motivation that causes us to tick? What is it that really makes us who we are? And in that moment, there's a young man who comes with a question. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A family squabble over an estate. Who could imagine such a thing? Who would argue who would ever argue over an estate? That doesn't even make sense to us, does it? Boy, we've seen those things, haven't we? I, I never expected, when I first became a pastor, that some of my most intense battles would come after the death of someone. I never knew that I would be placed in a similar situation. I've been asked to look at someone coming into a funeral and say, I'm sorry, but you're not welcome here. It's amazing the things that can happen when someone has left this earth. But it happens, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes it's not always so bad. I was reading a story the other day about the oldest pair of unworn Levi's. Apparently, there's a pair of Levi's from the 1890s that were put into a trunk. And when that trunk was opened, found out that these Levi's, unworn, could probably fetch $100,000 if they were sold. Makes me want to go look in every trunk I can find. Amen? But there's always seems to be that there's a question that happens many times over an estate the and then in the ancient world like this oftentimes a second sibling had very little recourse to have additional so this is a young man who thinks he somehow deserves more than than he should have and so he decides to bring this issue to Jesus and Jesus says friend who am i to be an arbiter Over you. Why are you bringing me this particular question? And that really is a good question. What in Jesus' ministry had ever pointed to the idea that he was concerned about providing arbitration over estate questions? It really wasn't something that he came for, but someone wants to use him to get there. And so Jesus then begins to tell him a parable in response. And so he says this. He says that a rich man's land was very productive. A rich man's land. Now, some of you have a translation that says a certain rich man. And what he is, he's talking about a very specific person. This is someone that you can say it's not all rich men. But this certain rich man, this certain particular person, this particular rich man, and so he's identified as someone who is rich, and he says, I have more than I need, so I need bigger barns. He's successful. Now, those things in and of themselves are not bad. We want to see people who are successful, right? Do I have any Dallas Cowboy fans here? Wouldn't you like to see some success again? It's been a long time. I'd love to see some success. But I don't get all the success I'd like to have. But here we have someone who has done well in life. But there is a curious thing that happens in this story. He is superficial. And Jesus wants us to understand the superficial nature of what's going on in the story because He's relating that to the superficial nature of the question that was brought to Him. And the superficial nature in this story is this guy has barns already and he wants to tear them down and build bigger ones. Now why would he do that? To show off the only reason you would tear down what you had to build the bigger ones was to show off he's not just adding more he's showing off it's a superficial approach and jesus is identifying the superficial nature of what has gone on not only that we see is he not only is he superficial but he's selfish he's selfish I'm not concerned about helping anyone else. I'm concerned about saving it for myself and whatever I can do with it. Well, that's all well and good. And I will eat, drink, and I'll sit back and enjoy myself. I will love me some me. And so he is selfish, more concerned more concerned about his stuff than he is anything else. Just like the young man who came to Jesus was more concerned about his inheritance than he was family, relationships. And so Jesus has drawn this parallel in very quickly into this story so that we could see that from the outside everything looks right, but on the inside there's some really serious problems. And can't that be true for all of us? We can look good... On the outside, but on the inside, there can be all kinds of issues going on. And so we see in this story here, he says, I am not your arbiter. And so here's this story. The rich man's land was productive, so I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to build. I'm going to do all this stuff to make myself look good. And then Jesus says something very interesting. In his death, he tells in this story, God said to him, you fool. I don't know, has anyone ever seen where the Bible said, don't call anyone a fool? I had a struggle with that the first time I ever read that. I don't know about you, it made me scratch my head, and so I'm like, "I, I need to figure this out. But then, when I began to look at it more closely... I found out something very interesting. Did you know the Greek has more than one word for fool? Now, when Jesus said, don't call anyone fool, He used the word that we would translate it, if you just translate it directly, moron. Don't call anyone moron. In this case, He uses a different word. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the word is, because you'll forget it before you walk out today... But in this instance, this particular word has this very specific meaning. And the very specific meaning of this word is is basically it means someone who is spiritually ignorant. And so what he's doing here is he's saying to someone, he goes, You are in essence spiritually ignorant. You are earthly smart, but spiritually ignorant ignorant and he said because of that your life is demanded of you and all this stuff you did to for you what's going to come of it and so we have his spiritual condition we have found out that in this very word you fool there's some things that come out of it number one that he's self-reliant I mean, isn't that the epitome of what it means to be spiritually foolish, is that we think we can do it? Well, God, if I'm successful enough, you'd have to take me. God, if I'm good enough, you'd have to take me. God, if I did this, you'll have to take me. Isn't that what Jesus taught? Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, look at what I did. But he will say to them, Depart from me, you who work iniquity, I never knew you. Earthly smart and spiritually ignorant. And that shows up in our self reliance, our desire to to do things on our own. And then it also identifies his lostness. His lostness. And I don't think we should lose that in this parable. This guy comes to Jesus with a question about an inheritance. And as Jesus knows him and knows his heart, he wants him to understand that he is so concerned about the things of earth, and yet he is lost. Because that word foolish definitely gives that indication. That in this story we have someone who is lost. You know, if you are self-reliant and you're lost and you were to die, we could definitely say you were unprepared, couldn't we? And Jesus says you need to be prepared. You want to be prepared. And this guy was not prepared. He was not ready for what was going to happen to him. It is important for us to remember that every day is a preparation day. Every day is a preparation day. We're preparing for something. But what are we preparing for? A lot of it goes back to what you're pursuing in life. But are you prepared are you preparing yourself for what God wants to do? And there's a point in this story. There really is a, a rather simple point that goes along with this. And what Jesus is trying to teach this man who's come to him in this moment is, I want you to pursue a rich relationship with God. I don't want you to be concerned about the riches of the world. That's what he says. That's how it is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I want you to have a rich relationship with God. And can you put a price on that? Can you buy that? Can you pay for that? There's not enough money, is there? Jesus says, understand where real wealth is. It's knowing in who you have believed in. Pursue a rich relationship with God. Now, the importance of this story is that Jesus is teaching him to pursue that relationship because there is a a deterrent in this man's life and that's money he wants money i can understand that there've been a couple of times in my life where that was hard for me when i went to college i had visions of myself working at a marketing firm i wanted to create super bowl commercials I think I would have been good. And God called me to ministry. And I remember the day I finally surrendered to ministry, my first thought was, Okay, okay God, I'm willing to be poor. That's as honest as I can tell you. But then, you know, I go into ministry and found out that, you know what? God can take care of your needs. God can provide for you. And a few years later, we moved to Colorado and I had to take a a job. And so I was a church planter and I had another job. And in that job, I started to do something I'd never done before. I made more money than I'd ever made before. And after about four years, I looked at it and thought... Lord, I'm drifting here. The church plant's not working out. And I'm making money for the first time. And I kind of like that. And I had to wrestle with the question. Where am I going to pursue? What am I going to do? And God opened the doors for me to take a church that wasn't going to make it. If he didn't put me there. And I'm grateful. That God got through me. And gave me a heart for the right. Pursuit. But it could have been someone who maybe came with another question. Lord tell people to vote for me. Because I want power. Lord. Tell so-and-so to be my friend. So I'll be popular. We could substitute any number of things into this parable and it would still make the exact same point. What is it that you are pursuing in life? Now, I would suggest if you're here on a Sunday morning, there's a good indication that if I asked you, Do you want to pursue Jesus above and beyond everything else in your life? I would venture that most of you would say, yes, that's what I want to pursue. But let me put that question to you. Most parables are easy to understand. We know the right answer, especially on Sunday morning when you're sitting in a worship service, is to pursue Jesus. But is it really that easy? It's not easy. It's important. It's the most important thing we can do with our lives, but it's not easy. It is a challenge. So how do we pursue this rich relationship with God? Well, the first thing you must do to do that is you must possess a transformed heart and a renewed mind. You must possess a transformed heart... ...and a renewed mind. You know, I was looking looking through my Bible yesterday... ...and I just came across Ephesians 4 again... ...where it says, and this won't be on your screen, but that's okay... ...but that is not how you came to know Christ... ...assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him... ...as the truth is in Jesus... ...to take off your former way of life. Don't pursue that any longer. The old self that is corrupted by its deceitful desires... To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on, that means to pursue, the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. We are to pursue the new self. And the only way to have a new self is to be in relationship with Christ. The only way... To pursue Jesus is to know who you're pursuing. And So the question is, do you have a transformed heart and a renewed mind? Have you ever met Christ personally? Do you know that you are in authentic, real relationship with Him? That's where it starts. To be renewed with Him. The second thing is this. We weigh the internal impact versus the temporary benefit. We weigh eternal impact versus temporary benefit. Several years ago, when we were in Colorado, we would go into a lot of churches while we were church planters. One of the things that concerned us about where ministry was going at that time, and something that I think has kind of gone everywhere, it seemed that churches were afraid to talk about the subject of sin, death, and hell. That somehow if they avoided those subjects, that everything would be better and that people would come. And maybe people would come, but they would only get half-truths. And that was concerning to us. And so we made a point that we would not shy away from the truth. But one of the things that just frustrated me is that I went to a conference with people who agreed with me from that standpoint. But encourage pastors, don't talk so much about eternity. People can't wrap their minds around it. You really need to talk about what's going on in their life. Can everyone just roll your eyes for a second? just? Because when we hear something like that, that's what we should do. Jesus taught us to think eternally and not think temporarily. The biggest problem that most believers have in their life today is that we have not taught believers to think from an eternal perspective, and we're stuck in the temporary perspective. Jesus said, let me tell you, you want to lay up something good? Lay up something in heaven. Something that has eternal value, not something that's temporary. We are to think eternally about what's going on in our lives. Because again, all of this is fading. Heaven and earth will fade away. But my words will not fade away, said God. There's a, a gates that lead to the cathedral of Milan. There's three gates. And over one gate it says this. It says, the things that please are temporary. On the opposite side of that gate is a, another gate with an inscription, the things that disturb us are temporary. So the things that please are temporary. The things that, that disturb us and frustrate us, like the traffic light system in East Texas, all those things, they're temporary. But here's what it says over the main gate. Eternal are the important ones. Oh, that we would grasp the power of eternity. Oh, that we would understand that every day when we wake up, we have an opportunity to touch eternity. To impact eternity. And whenever we get stuck on the temporary, we are doomed and destined to fail that day. We were called to be people who understand that the eternal significance of what we do matters. One of the reasons that evangelism's not what it used to be is because we've lost eternity. One of the reasons prayer ministry is not what it used to be is because we've lost the idea of eternity. One of the reasons our churches aren't as strong as they used to be is because we got so concerned about the temporal, we stopped talking about the eternal. Eternity matters. We weigh the eternal impact versus temporary benefit. Here's the third thing. We maintain a passionate relationship with Christ. We maintain a passionate relationship with Christ. I was thinking about how our our pursuits are dictated by our passions, right? Our pursuits are dictated... By our passions. I love Dr. Pepper. Years ago I decided I I didn't want to drink Dr. Pepper with corn syrup in it. I wanted Dr. Pepper that had real sugar in it. It comes in a green box, green bottle and all that kind of stuff. They're old, old colors from years gone by. And I thought, I'm moving back to Texas where Dr. Pepper is plentiful. The land of Dr. Pepper. And we move to East Texas and I go, go to the local Brookshires and I buy a case of my little green box of real sugar Dr. Pepper. And then the supply chain problem hit. And guess what you can't find? Dr. Pepper with real sugar. So I'm talking to my father-in-law who's coming out for a visit this week. And he said, I just saw some at our little grocery store here in Level Land, Texas. Guess what I'm pursuing? Dr. Pepper with real sugar. You buy it up. You bring it here. And then I'm going to tear down a barn and build a bigger barn, right? I mean, that's the mentality I have with that. Because it's something that I can't find it, but when I find it, I want it, right? Because we're all that way. There's those things, where if we get passionate about it, we want more of it. It's just who we are. When was the last time that you woke up and said, God... I can't go another second until I've talked to you. God, I can't do anything else until I think about you. Lord, I am passionate about you. When was the last time that we really recognized that we were passionate about our faith in God? Because if you don't have, if you don't have a passion for God, you're not going to pursue God. If he doesn't touch both your mind and heart and captivate them, you're going to have a hard time in that pursuit. And here's the problem. Because if he's not your passion, you'll find a passion. And that passion will pursue you. And that's what happened in this young man's life. The man who came and said, Jesus, tell the brother to split the inheritance with me. In essence, Jesus could have said, Your passion has found you out. What's important to you has just been revealed in the very question. You ask me. You see, our passions will pursue us. And that sounds pretty negative. Let's put it in a positive spin. If God is your passion, if you have a passion for Christ, your passion will pursue you. So that means God would pursue me? Absolutely. You see, your passions will pursue you. And if you have a passion for Christ, He's going to pursue you. And there is scriptural evidence to point that out. Let me take you back to the book of Genesis. There was a guy named Enoch. It says Enoch was 300 years old. He walked with God and he was no more. He knew God so well and had a passion for God so well that God pursued him so that he never died. I'd say that's pretty good. I would say there's a positive picture of what that passion can look like in our lives. To walk with God. And it says God took him in Hebrews. God pursued him and brought him. What an amazing thought to think about. When I was a kid growing up in church, there was a song that went, I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on that day that Jesus calls my name. I thought about that song over the years and thought, you know, I would like that to be true. I would like to pursue God with so much passion that on the day He calls my name, it's just like stepping right in to eternity. And I never missed a beat. It's exactly what I thought it would be because I'd already been living it right here, right now. So what are you pursuing in life? What are you pursuing in life today? Are you pursuing your way? Are you pursuing your possessions, your, your wealth? Are you pursuing something hoping that another relationship will fill you? Or are you pursuing Christ? This is a question for all of us to answer today. I'm going to pray for us. I'll be in the back if anyone would like to talk today. Uh, I'll be back. I know you've got a great group of elders who'd love to talk to you as well. So whatever it is that God has said to your life today, make sure your pursuit is the right pursuit. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. I thank You for a story that reminds us that we are to pursue after You. And I'm grateful that You long to pursue after each of us. And Lord, we know that You you pursue the lost. With a Father's love, You call us to repentance. And I pray that You would speak to each of our hearts today. That You would move... Move in each of our lives that you would reveal the truth of who we are. And give us the strength to identify that and respond to that. Lord, we want you to be the pursuit of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.